And before Neil comes up to preach, we're going to hear God's word read to us by Kathy Andrews. That's Luke 18, verses 9 to 17. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all and those uh, at home as well. Let's uh, pray as we come to, to God's word together. Father God, as we come to your word now, we come as little children. We come with empty hands wanting to receive from you. We pray that we would come with a spirit of humility. We would come with teachable hearts, knowing that we depend on your spirit to open our minds and our hearts to understand and to receive from you. So it help us to, to know you better this morning. And help us to know how to live lives which are more pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, as we know, our country is becoming more and more secular, which um, doesn't just mean the church attendance is falling, but the Christian values which have been at the heart of our society for hundreds of years are become, becoming less and less obvious. We should mean that as Christians, uh, we stand out even more. After all, that's what uh, Christ told us to do. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If we are Christians reflecting the light of Jesus Christ, then one of the key values that should stand out when people see us is that of humility. I wonder if people would say that of you. Yes, he or she is so really humble person. I'm sure, I'm sure if you ask some of the, uh, the older members of our church family, maybe those who are unable to be with us this morning, to describe some of the changes they've seen over the course of their lifetime. I wonder whether they would say, well, it's a disappearance of the values of sacrifice, of servanthood, of commitment, all aspects of humility, and instead the growth of self. Self-confidence, self-respect, self-satisfaction. In short, it's all about me. 
Because society rewards those who have something to offer. And there is therefore a pressure to succeed and to be appreciated for our success. You need to watch the Prime Minister's question time to see um, that being played out at the top level of our society. Instead of this being a time when the, the leader of the opposition can uh, uh, hold the, the Prime Minister to account, it becomes a contest in which one leader tries to demonstrate to the, the audience of other MPs and those watching on TV that he's smarter, that he's wittier, more eloquent, has a better grasp of detail, and in short is better equipped to lead the country than the other. Just look at how politicians use Twitter to promote themselves and to seek the approval of the population. And it's not that there's anything wrong with success and popularity in themselves, but when we are driven by them and do everything in our strength to attain them, then we're going to be carrying a really heavy burden around because we won't always succeed and we won't always be popular and therefore we won't always sleep at night. It's not surprising that young people are growing up with increasing levels of anxiety as they suffer under that constant pressure to succeed and to be liked. Well, Jesus came to free us from all that, as it says in 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. We don't enter heaven by describing all the good things that we have done in our lives. We enter heaven by acknowledging that without God, we are nothing. But by receiving his gift of grace, we are everything. As Jesus says in this passage, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. A helpless little child who uh, maybe cannot even walk, let alone speak, who cannot do much themselves, but simply trusts in their their parents to to love them and to look after them. That is the attitude with which we are called to come to our loving Heavenly Father and accept his love. That episode of the, the children follows a parable in which Jesus tells us about two people. One, a Pharisee. Someone admired, respected by society who tries to justify himself before God through his impeccable religious works. And we have a tax collector, corrupt, despised by his countrymen for collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman authorities, but who comes to God with nothing, accepting that he's sinful and therefore trusts simply in God's mercy. And again, to everyone's surprise, it is the tax collector, Jesus says, who goes home justified before God. Well, this sermon series has been called Jesus the Revolutionary because Jesus has come to reverse the values of society, to show that humankind has distorted the way in which our creator God has called us to live. And instead of secularization bringing us greater happiness, it has instead led to slavery and unhappiness. Jesus came not to provide us with short-term, unreliable, earthly success, but to provide a lasting freedom and joy, which comes from focusing not on pleasing ourselves, but on serving others. 
And the value that captures uh, such a way of life, and which has been emphasized in different ways in these chapters of Luke that we've been looking at, is that of humility. The words we read in verse 14 are exactly the same as those we read back in chapter 14, verse 11. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We'll just look at the first of those in the first part of that sentence. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled. What does it mean to exalt yourself? Well, before Jesus tells the parable, we're told exactly who this parable is meant for. Uh, Have a look at verse 9. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. So to exalt yourself firstly means to be confident of your own righteousness. Put simply, that means I believe that I've made myself good enough to be accepted by God. And in the parable, such a person is represented by the Pharisee. We're told in verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He starts by thanking God. But it's not really thanking God as if for for something God has done or a a blessing he's received. He's just saying, look how good I am. Aren't you lucky that you've got me on your side? Don't I deserve your favor? He's trying to justify himself before God. And notice he doesn't actually ask God for anything. And if we're not asking God for anything, then what we're saying is, I don't really need you, God. That is what sin is all about, isn't it? To, to live our lives reliant on ourselves as if God doesn't exist. A current crisis should be making people realize just how weak and powerless we are. How much we do need God. If we do eventually find a vaccine, it won't be simply because people are clever, but because God has, because God has given them that wisdom. God has made it happen. And even if we do believe in God, if we accept his sovereignty, that attitude of self-reliance can still creep into our lives. We get on with normal life and we just call on God when we've got a bigger problem rather than acknowledging just how much we need him in every minute of every day. Maybe we're pleased with uh, all the stuff we do that is expected of us as Christians. And like the Pharisee says, I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all I get. Someone who is confident of their own righteousness will have decided what they think is sufficient to be acceptable. They'll be happy that they've done enough. The trouble is, if they've made that judgment about what is enough, they're also deciding what is not enough. Which brings us to the other part of what it means to exalt yourself to look down to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. To exalt yourself means to look down on others. The expression is actually much stronger than that. It's more like having contempt on them. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And for us to consider ourselves good we inevitably compare ourselves with others. And the people the Pharisee chooses to compare himself with are those who are leading an obviously immoral life. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, 
tax collectors. I would never do those things, he's saying. I wonder how many of us fall into the trap of comparing ourselves with others. We know we're not perfect, but at least we're, we're better than them. What that attitude conveys is a lack of joy in the Lord. We're not really keeping ourselves pure out of a desire to become like Jesus, but out of a sense of duty. And so when we see someone else doing what we'd actually really like to do, we become a little bit jealous of what they're doing. We're not serving hard out of a joy to serve the Lord, but because we, we know what's expected of us. And so when we see someone not pulling their weight, it makes us resentful. We're not coming to, to prayer meetings because we enjoy praying with others, or coming to worship at a church service because we enjoy gathering with God's people, because, because we would feel guilty if we didn't. And when we see that others are not there, then we're angry about their lack of commitment. We aren't giving to the Lord's work because we love to use what he has given us for the growth of his kingdom, but because that's something we just have to do. And so when we think of somebody spending too much on themselves, we again become envious of them. Well, if any of that resonates with you, then let's look at the tax collector. Because actually it's only when we acknowledge that we ourselves have nothing to offer the Lord, when we realize that everything we have comes from him, then our hearts become full of gratitude and joy. What the Pharisee hasn't realized is that to be acceptable to God, we don't just need to be better than the others, we need to be perfect. And none of us is. So if we can't be perfect, then what can we do? Well, we can do what the tax collector does. We can humble ourselves. Because all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Verse 13 says, The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector knows he has nothing to commend himself to God. And he's not going to even try. He's been convicted of his sin. He can't even look up to heaven when he prays. He's conscious of just how unworthy he is. He just beats his breast calls on God's mercy, acknowledging that he is a sinner, that he's failed to live up to God's standards. He knows he deserves God's judgment, and for God to withhold the judgment or the punishment that we deserve, he has to show mercy. However moral or immoral we consider ourselves to be, we all need God's mercy. It's not like, a, well, I'm close to the bar, so I just need a little bit of mercy to, <coughs> excuse me, to get over it. Or I'm a long way from the bar, so I need lots of mercy. However close or far away we are, if we haven't reached the bar, we deserve God's punishment. It's mercy that saves each one of us. And so to be humble is to say, I'm totally dependent on God's mercy. I have nothing to bring to the table. That is why Jesus is able to say, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. To be justified before God is to be acquitted, to be declared innocent. And Jesus doesn't explain here how someone can be acquitted. Will you find out if you read on in Luke's Gospel is that Jesus goes to the cross. He gives up his life in our place 
and face the punishment we deserve so that we can be acquitted. Or if we're saved by God's mercy, then we have nothing to boast about. We're not somehow more clever than others uh, to have understood the gospel. The Spirit gives us that understanding. We're not somehow more moral than others. Um, The Spirit is changing us from within. The more we understand God's mercy to us, the more we will be gracious to others. The ironic thing as we read this passage, the temptation is to think, I'm glad I'm not like that Pharisee. In which case we've fallen into the same trap as he has, haven't we? If we're saved by God's mercy, we have nothing to boast about. It's only by the blood of Christ that we are acceptable to God. And the great encouragement from this parable is that the tax collector was justified. He was saved from the moment he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He didn't have to first prove himself before he was saved. The change in his lifestyle would have followed inevitably because you can't be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ and not want to become more like him. So if you're listening, thinking, I don't know whether I am good enough for Jesus. You don't have to be. You will never be good enough. The question is, do you trust that Jesus alone can save you? Do you want to follow him as your Lord rather than trust in yourself and follow your own desires. If the answer to that question is yes, then then what is stopping you from being baptised? I know we've got a few social distancing problems where we can get around that. We can open up the pool. If you follow Jesus, you don't need to worry about failing to achieve. You don't need to worry about what people think of you. He's achieved it all for you. And he promises that he will exalt you. You'll be given the honor of being one of his treasured people when Jesus comes again. As a follower of Jesus, you can still be successful. You can still be appreciated much, but it won't be you doing it in your strength and doing it for yourself. You'll be doing it in the strength of the Lord and doing it for his glory. Another way of saying Jesus wants us to humble ourselves is to say that Jesus wants us to be childlike in our relationship with God. In God's providence, the next thing that happens in Luke's account of the life of Jesus is that something is something that enables him to illustrate what he's just been teaching. We're told people were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. Well, presumably the disciples think babies are not important and they are um, wasting Jesus' time. But to bring your baby to Jesus is to show humility. And the other service later on, Becky and Evil Capel will be presenting their baby Eleanor before the Lord. And what they're doing is first giving thanks for her life, acknowledging that her life is a gift from him, and that she couldn't have been born without him. And they're promising to dedicate themselves to bringing her up to know Jesus, asking his blessing on her. And so doing, they're acknowledging their own weakness, how they need the Lord's wisdom and strength in this massively important responsibility. Instead of turning the children away, Jesus invites them to come to him. He calls them because he values them. 
verse 16 says, But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. In what ways does Jesus want his followers to be childlike? Not childish, but childlike in their relationship with God. Well, I think there are four things. The first of those is uh, dependence. Children are totally dependent on their parents. They're called dependents. In the same way, we're called to be fully dependent on God and not on our own strength. And the way in which we express our dependence on God is through prayer. Secondly, through trust. Normally children trust their parents to do what is best for them because they know their parents love them. Well, how much more should we trust God who not only knows what is best for us, he's able to make that happen. Thirdly, transparency. Young children do not try and pretend. They don't wear masks. They just say it as it is. Often much the embarrassment of their parents. With God, we don't need to pretend that we are any more moral or innocent than we really are because he knows our hearts anyway. We don't need to prove ourselves to him because everything we achieve is through his strength. And fourthly, purity. Not that children are sinless, they are born sinful, but at a young age they're not contaminated by the world. One of the great challenges of parenthood is to bring a child to be up to be in the world but not of it. To cope with the challenges of the world, but to seek to change the world rather than be changed by it. The truth is that it's hard being a Christian in a world which has rejected God and has different values. The world will appeal to our, our sinful nature, the part of us that wants to put ourselves first. The part of us that wants to be independent and take the credit for what we've done. We need, by God's grace, to hold on to these four aspects throughout our lives. That dependence, that trust, that transparency, and that purity. Jesus said, I truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. If you belong to Jesus, then you will know what a wonderful privilege that is. It's not something we've earned, but something we've received as a gift. What we all need to keep being reminded of is that God does not set us a bar for us to achieve in order for him to love us. He expects nothing more from us than to come to him with empty hands, trusting not in our own achievements, but trusting solely in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to be truly humble. We're going to um, finish with a couple of songs. And in the first one, the group will play the music to the hymn Rock of Ages. And can I just encourage you to um, sit quietly if you're in the, the building or if you're at home, just sit quietly, meditate on the words which will appear on the screen. And ask yourself, as you think about the things you plan to do this, this week, these two, two questions. In whose strength are you doing it? And for whose benefit are you doing it? 
And if you're feeling weighed down by the pressure to succeed and be appreciated, then just remember these words from, from 1 Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up, that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the fact that when we humble ourselves before you, that you lift us up. Help us, Lord, to look to you, uh, to your work on the cross, not to ours, to look away from ourselves and look to you, that we might be able to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.